Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and with me today I have two guests. I have Barry Kennedy from the East Main Church of Christ, and he's also one of our counselors here this week at Foundations. Barry, it's good to have you on the program. Good to be with you, Michael. Also have sitting across from him, Kevin Rutherford, who's also a counselor at Foundations this week, has been just like Barry for a few years now. He's the minister over at the Warner's Chapel Church of Christ. And Kevin, it's good to have you. It's great to be here. Well, we're very excited to have an opportunity to sit down and discuss God's Word, but we get to discuss a subject that isn't always pleasant to discuss. We're talking about Christianity being far better than a faithless life. And a life without faith, what does that look like? In my opinion, we first look at discussing something like this, we need to define our terms. What do we mean by faith? Because the Bible does use that word faith in the English translations as in different ways. Right. And so there are times where the Bible refers to faith as being that of an opinion. Take, for example, Romans 14. He talks about having faith, have it to yourself. Well, then you look at the context, he's dealing with matters of opinions and scruples, if you might use that Mm -hmm. terminology. Because clearly we're supposed to be practicing and teaching the faith to others, the faith that Jude 3 says was once and for all delivered. That right. system, if you even want to use that word, it comes from hearing God's word, Romans ten seventeen. I was looking at that passage, Romans fourteen twenty two in the New American Standard Version. It said, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction, your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves that conviction that we have in these matters in the context of opinion, well, that's not my job to try to change your opinion on that. And if I don't have a faith as to whether or not uh, Coca-Cola is better than Dr. Pepper, that's fine. But if I do think Dr. Pepper is the best drink, that's fine too. That's right. But when it comes to the faith, Jude 3, which was once and for all delivered, we're to earnestly contend for it. And so that's a bad life to have is one without that conviction there. Kevin, you have anything you want to add? Uh, Sure. When we're talking about the faith, uh, faith has the idea with it of being a strong conviction of what's real, uh, of the truth, of what's fact, of what's reality. Uh, It's the result of coming to a knowledge of of the facts and reality, uh, and it's a deep, life-changing confidence in the truth. And that's produced by the Word of God, Romans 10, 14 through 17. And so what we're saying when someone has a life without faith is they have a life without God, essentially. Right. And or they have a life that is in the wrong way toward God, because there are people in this world that don't have the faith, but they'd say, "Well, I have faith." Uh, you know, the prophets of Baal had faith that Baal was going to answer them. It didn't make it so. But what we're saying essentially is, it's important to put our faith in the right source. Therefore, we have the opportunity to have the best faith possible, Barry. And on your on your point there of, of the right source, because in a sense. We all have a faith in something. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I was just teaching him a few moments ago, and we mentioned Romans chapter 6 and 16 and following. He says, don't you know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness or unto life. So you get this idea, you're serving one or the other. And all of our service is based on our convictions, and what's, as, as was mentioned a while ago, about what is real to us, what mm-hmm. is true to us. And we're serving one or the other. The problem is you can't serve two masters. That's right. Do we have Bible examples, Kevin, of people who didn't have faith? Oh, we do. We've got people in the New Testament like uh, the line of kings known as the Herods. Uh, they were cruel and violent people. Uh, we have people like... Uh, Bar uh, Jesus, who was interfering with Paul teaching Sergius Paulus. 
Uh, you've got uh, people even like Paul himself who didn't have the Christian faith at first when he was known as Saul and who, because he did not have the Christian faith, actually hated the Christian faith before mm-hmm. he became Christian and, uh, and persecuted, persecuted Christians. I love how you brought up Paul because even the disciples didn't have faith. You might remember Mark 4 where the big storm had come and Jesus says, Peace be still. And he says, How is it that you have no faith? And it's impressive to sit there and read that as a Christian who's not a disciple in the way that they were, who didn't witness the things that they witnessed and think, man, even they struggled. And they went and woke Jesus up and said, you know, we're perishing. Aren't you going to do something about this? And, you know, then I think about places in the scriptures where people struggled with the idea of whether God would get them through it. The Israelite nation seemed to not have faith in God because oftentimes they would say, would it be better we go back and be in Egypt? Elijah at one point seemed to not have faith in God to get him through because he says, God, Jezebel wants to kill me, so why don't you just do it and get my misery over with? Uh, But then I look at people like David, and I see a man that while he's on the run for his life, he puts his faith in God that he will get him through it and carry him. And there were times where David struggled, but a lot of the Psalms where David would write is he says, you're my stronghold, you're my strength. I'm going to put faith in you, I'm going to hold to you, But we know what happened to David when he didn't have his faith as strong in the Lord with the sin of Bathsheba. And there were other times in David's life where he transgressed. But what I get from that is when my faith is the strongest in God, my life, no matter the circumstance, can still be worth living. The the children of Israel, and we talk about this when we're mentioning these these examples in the New Testament, men like Paul, and and at times, various times in their lives, you mentioned the stealing of the storm of the Sea of Galilee. I've always listened to that, hearing them say, do you not care that we're perishing? And how quickly they forgot the purpose for him even being on this earth. Mm-hmm. He came to seek and save that which was lost. But we get a little complacent at times and forget about the source, the reality. I like that word again. The reality of who God is. And God's chosen people, the children of Israel. When I was thinking about this question, uh, it reminds me of Deuteronomy 32. He starts out, says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked, and thou art waxen fat, thou art grown. Of course, Jeshurun referencing to God's people. And he goes on and talks about from verses down through verse 20, he's talking about how they provoked him to jealousy, how they turned to idol gods. But listen to the end of verse 20. He says, And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. And in a sense, that faith faith sounds like trust. Mm-hmm. And those are really going hand in hand. They didn't trust that, that they would survive the storm on the Sea of Galilee, but they had the source of all hope right there. They had the faith. right. There. How is it you're without faith when the source of faith, the Word, is here with you? Right. And we miss that so many times because our reality changes. That's so true because Jesus had made a promise when he said, let us pass to the other side. And if Jesus is God, the Son of God, when he says something, I can take him at his word. Therefore, when that storm started, had the disciples only remembered that he had promised them, you know, we're going to go to the other side. And he didn't mean the other side in death. You know, we might say well, he crossed over to the other side. That's not what Jesus was saying. But then I think about, uh, Brother Kevin, the Galatians, whose faith in God was tested in such a way that they went back to an old system of faith, an old system of law, and were holding to that very strongly. And Paul gives them this absolute gut punch in Galatians 3 and 4 and says, if you were really the the sons of Abraham, you would come to the new law. 
And Abraham looked toward that new law in faith. And so what, what really do we have to take from the idea of when we are religious with our faith and not having it in the right source like they didn't? Well, I think we're hitting at a lot of things here, and, and one of which is this. Faith is not merely accepting the facts. You want to make sure you have the evidence. You want to have the facts. You accept the facts. You draw the right conclusions from mm-hmm. the evidence. But it also means you're going to enact that within your life. And you want to make sure then that as you study the Word of God, you understand the difference between the covenants and that you have the faith that God requires of mankind now. And the Bible talks about how that faith is going to be something that is deep, uh, something that comes from deep down inside of us, involves the very essence of our being and who we are, and then shows itself in the way that we live. It's everything about us shows our faith. And I can't, Barry, put my faith in man Man fails me. I'm a man that has failed in life. When I study the Bible, the Bible's depiction of man is as a failure on his own. He cannot do it on his own. And Romans 7 tells me that the law demanded perfection, and man couldn't be perfect. Man didn't, didn't have perfection in him, and therefore God gave us a better law that requires faithfulness over perfection. So what is the difference between the New Testament system, which doesn't require perfection, but a faith that is strong enough to get me from this life to the next, and that idea of don't mess up. You know, there, there's this difference projected there, you know? I think the word you just said at the end there is is the key, projected. Yeah. Because we sometimes get a mindset that there was no faith in the Old Testament. Right. But Noah, he, he did what God said, which is a prime example of what Kevin was mentioning earlier. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. Knowledge is only as good as its application. Right. And the same is true with God's word. Faith without works is useless. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Uh, I think part of the problem is, is is what we're listening to as far as our, this is how I should live my life. And it reminds me when I was thinking about Deuteronomy a while ago in 32, it reminds me of Psalm 1 and that progression of, of failure which really wasn't even the point of it, but we focus on that quite often because the first few verses, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So there's that digression or progression, if you want to say it. He's listening to the wrong counsel. He stops now, and he's standing, and he's paying attention to it. The next thing you see is he's seated. He's Mm -hmm. comfortable even scorning or mocking God. But he's not focusing on that person. He said, blessed is the man who doesn't do these things. Right. See, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Faith comes by hearing the word we mentioned earlier. So we're hearing the word, we're meditating on it, but he's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who brings forth his fruit in the due season. And the right. time is right. There's the actions. Um, no man, and not everyone says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. There are so many laws that we see in the Old Testament that, yes, they were to keep these laws, but they weren't perfect in the sense that we're looking at, okay, they had to keep the law perfectly to go to heaven under the old law. If that's the case, there's no one going to be in heaven. Right. But we remember Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration concerning his death. Right. Because their faithfulness to the law that they were under, not their perfection, their faithfulness to that law gives them hope that when Jesus died on that cross, his blood cleansed them as well. Right. And so, Kevin, what happens to us in eternity if we don't have faith? If we don't have faith, faith as identified by the Scriptures, then in eternity we're going to be separated from all that is good, all that is pure, 
all that is holy, and all that is beautiful. God does require faith. Without faith, there is not going to be salvation, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. One of the things that I know that all of us are and have been are children. We, we have children. We've been children in the household of our own parents. And there's this age-old question that gets asked a lot. And in fact, I, I sadly think a lot of parents believe this is true, but can a child get their parents' faith without instilling their own faith? The word can is, is a possibility. Is it possible for a child to follow strictly the faith of their parents? Yes. Right. Is it possible for them to follow strictly the faith of their parents and be pleasing to God? No. Right. And I, I know this This is something that I have tried to do in, in my home and my wife as well, is, is even using these words, make the faith your faith. Right. Not mom and dad's faith. I, I think part of this comes from not being ashamed, and that's what our theme is this right. week, of course, at Foundations, not being ashamed even to tell our children, I'm sorry. Right. I, I was wrong. I messed up. Your father messed up. I know that's harsh, and, and pride gets in the way sometimes, but uh, we are not the father. I'm not the father. I'm their father. Right. And the father is perfect, but their father needs the father just as much as they do. Kevin, our children grow and, and sometimes become unfaithful, and they were taught correctly. So what causes that? Because if the faith was presented to them, the faith is presented to them. And just like in Proverbs 4, good doctrine was given, What was? where's the disconnect with that child who grows up and doesn't have the same faith that his parents have in his own life or her life? Well, that's an excellent question, and it's one that many families struggle with. It's a complex question because every situation is going to be a little different. Right. And the reason every situation is a little different is because every person is an individual being of free will. We have, Joshua twenty four fifteen the opportunity and the ability to choose what we want to do. Now, when children are little, the parents say, do this or that, and the parents help them get to where they need to be and do the things they need to do. But as the children grow, you begin to see more and more the power of that free will. And even as they become teenagers, you see they begin to, to have certain things that they want to do. When they become adults, they're on their own. It's, it's their decisions to make. They're on their own in the sense that they have full responsibility for those decisions. They'll, they'll never be on their own from the standpoint of the love of their parents and love of God. However, there are situations where parents are not living the Christian life even if they're teaching the faith. There are situations where the parents are hypocrites. There are situations where the parents are too soft or situations where the parents are, are just flat cruel. And either way, you're going to drive kids away. If you are, for example, a, a violent and cruel and aggressive father, you will push your children away from you and away from God. And yet, there are some parents who are diligently following Ephesians chapter 6, Titus chapter 2, Deuteronomy chapter 6. They, they love their children. They're showing their children a, a good Christian example. They're doing the best that we're able to do, we're, we're imperfect, but doing the best that we're able to do, they have given that child uh, an excellent, excellent, excellent upbringing, and still the child leaves God when the child becomes an adult. That does happen. It's not always the parent's fault. It goes back to free will, and that individual, once they become an adult, is going to make a choice, and that choice is up to them. 
Well, then I think of the situation of David and Absalom. David is a man after God's own heart. He is a, a very good godly individual. He had his faults. We all know that. But Absalom, his son, wants daddy's throne is, is his whole motto, and, and even to the point that he doesn't care what he has to do to get it and wants to kill his father to take the throne. And I can't imagine that David raised him to, to think that way. you know. And like you said, uh, I can't imagine that that father presented that to Absalom but I also can't imagine that David was 100% perfect. But it's like you mentioned, there are a lot of things that come into play with it. There are a lot of things that we have to understand, and it's a fine balance. And I'm learning that more and more as my son gets more and more of a personality and more and more needing to be disciplined. How much is too much? How much is not enough? How much is just right? And sometimes I have looked at him, and I, I feel like, man, I, I might have been a little too harsh there. And then there are other times where I think, okay, maybe I'm not harsh enough, but it's too late to go back. and I can't go and discipline him now for something he did 10 minutes ago. So in regards to that, like you pointed out, finding that balance is tough. How did you guys do that? Oh, we're still working on it. Right? But Always will it, be. It kind of, to me, it, it goes back to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You've got a twofold responsibility. He begins, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's their responsibility. But then he also tells me as a father, father, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there's, there's a twofold thing going on. I have my responsibility and I can do it to the best of my ability, but I cannot take away their free will, as was mentioned earlier. And, and on those lines of training up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it is a proverb. This is not law that that's, because I can't take away their free will. Every time I think of that verse, I'm reminded of the very first man and woman. Who was their father? It was God. Could I, anyone do a better job of, of teaching them than the father did, the creator himself? And what did they do? They revolted as well. And you see the temptation when Satan says to Eve, you will not surely die, but you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, I can't help but see a sense of, of I get to determine like God does what's good and evil, what's right and what's wrong, and she rebelled against him in that. Of course, it didn't take away his love for them and made the opportunity for salvation. Genesis 3.15, the promise of the gospel basically first mentioned there as the seed of woman being the sacrifice, the blow to Satan's head. But we have that responsibility on both parts. Paul would say, be ye followers of me, but he didn't put a period there be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That should be my role as a, as a dad, as a parent, too, to follow me, yes, but only follow me and teach them that only follow me as you see me following Christ. Well, that uh, goal to be balanced in the way that we raise our children is, uh, as Barry mentioned, something that we're always working on. We'll never be perfect with it, but if you don't try, you will fail miserably. You have to constantly be doing your best to live the Christian life teach the Christian life, and be fair and just in the way that you deal with your children as well as loving and kind. So it's a very, very difficult balance to find, but you have to strive for it. And if you do, then uh, things will usually turn out far better maybe even than we can Im imagine. But there are plenty of good people in the Bible, uh, such as Samuel, Eli, and others, who were faithful people of God and yet whose children rebelled in, in horrible ways. Uh, Aaron's another one uh, where that happened to him. So what we have to do then is understand that, yes, there is that potential for them to leave God, but we're going to do absolutely everything we can, absolutely everything within our power and our ability to raise our children right. 
this is something that is of the utmost in importance. We have to cast aside uh, our personal interests many times. We have to be willing to make tremendous sacrifices uh, in time, in energy, in effort, and in focus in maintaining the right relationships with our children so that they have the best opportunity to see how beautiful and peaceful and joyful and wonderful the Christian life is so that it will be something that they want and then they will be convicted by the evidence and the facts but also by the godly Christian life that their parents have lived so much that they want that to be their faith and it will be their conviction in their heart. When we present the Word of God in an attractable way to our children, it is attractive to them. And that's, that's what they want. That's exactly what I was thinking as he was making that point. You say that as well. I, I just finished talking about First uh, Peter 3.15. Right. We use that passage many times as the church, as, as we as Christians talking to those outside the body of Christ or outside the walls of our church buildings and things of this nature. But does that not fit our family as well? If I'm willing to sanctify the Lord God in my heart, be ready to give a defense of the reason of the hope that is in me. Is that not also going to be applied to my children? Are they not going to see that, ask me, Dad, why do you have such peace? Why do you have such hope? If I'm really living that, they're going to see it. But it starts, It starts, and that's that balance. It starts with even back to uh, Joshua. We use the illustration of Joshua. He said, as for me and my house, not just my house. As for my children, they'll serve the Lord. He says, for me and my house will serve the Lord. Well, and it's interesting. I I guess we close with this thought. The children that day that Joshua was speaking to of Israel were reliant upon the elders and Joshua's faith. And Joshua knew that because he even said, I'm working on this for my sermon this Sunday. Joshua even said, you can't serve the Lord. You've got to sign this contract that you'll serve the Lord. I want you to sign on the dotted line that you'll promise to do this. And then Judges opens up, when Joshua and the elders had died, then the generation arose that knew not the Lord. And if I am dependent upon my mom and my dad's faith, and I don't turn around and make it my own, when they die, I will raise a generation that knows not the Lord. Because the faith that they have in Christ will not be instilled in me, not just by their teaching, but by my own actions and my own thoughts. And so as we talk about a faithless life, it's critical that we have a faithful life. And... We have one more episode that we're going to talk about more of a some more Bible application of this. Uh, but before I do that, do you guys have any closing remark that you want to give? Well, I used a statement, and it was quoting a song. But the statement in this song is so fitting. You've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Right. And whether you advocate the song or not, that's not the point. But the statement is true. And that's what we see happening in many cases. There's, there's a time when we have to draw our line in the sand and say, I'm, I'm not going to go beyond that. Right. So what is the determining factor for that line? If it's not God's word, then we don't really have a line to draw. Right. Kevin, you have anything? Well, parents are archers. Children are arrows. Point the arrows at heaven and then let it go. And uh, the rest is up to the arrow. We appreciate you being a part of this program, and we will hope and pray that you tune in to the next episode. But until then, we hope you please God now so that our eternities can be far better.